There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Mick Clifford Podcast with the Irish Examiner. Now, on the 25th of February last, on a small farm in North Cork, Johnny Hennessy killed his two brothers, Paddy and Willie, with a heavy sledge axe. Willie was found lying down in a shed, while Paddy was found by his daughter lying on his back in the farmyard. Johnny then drowned himself in a nearby river. Some years previously, another Hennessy brother is believed to have taken his own life by drowning, having entered the river at much the same spot as Johnny did last February. The whole story is most definitely a tragedy of huge proportions, particularly for the family and those closest to them. It's also a mystery and it's also, unfortunately, there are elements in it that are straight out of, well, I suppose to some extent an Ireland of the past and, and, and parts of rural Ireland, perhaps. But that's the way it was and that is what happened earlier this year. The brothers were very well regarded in their tight-knit community as ordinary, decent and hard-working men. So what happened to prompt such a tragedy and could anything have been done to prevent it? Joining me to discuss the case is Irish Examiner reporter Neil Michael who attended the inquest into the brothers' deaths last week. Neil, you're very welcome. Neil, could you give me some of the family background, where the Hennessys are from, where they lived, their parents, that kind of thing? Yeah, their parents were Thomas Hennessy and Ellen McCarthy, and they lived with their parents and their uncles at a small holding, I'd say it's about a 10-acre farm in Upper Corrigorm, which is in, um, it's about eight kilometres away from Mitchellstown in North Cork. Both their parents died probably about 41, 42 years ago. Years ago. They were quite, uh, their deaths followed quickly after the other. Um, the three brothers, there were, well, there were essentially four brothers and uh, Jer, who uh, by the sense of things was the youngest, he appears to have uh, taken his own life at, at some stage, but certainly before he died, all four of them were living together on the farm. There was the original homestead uh, and then the brothers uh, all got together and built a second home, which was built for Johnny. They're all of varying characters. Jer, by all accounts, was a bit of a kind of a GA stalwart, a very fit man, was on various award-winning panels for the GA. Uh, he was also a keen handball fan. In fact, he was a member of the panel that had won the North Cork Novice Hurling title in 1979. Uh, he was also, uh, he had worked Cork Marts for 32 years. So firmly entrenched in agricultural and sporting GA life. Paddy was also a keen GA character, um, but would have perhaps kept himself, uh, kept a fairly low profile, as did actually, I suppose, all the brothers, really. They tended to sort of keep their own company. From what I understand, they tended not to... Uh, like other people to necessarily know all their business they they kind of you know they were they were private they were very polite if you ever came across them according to people that um spoke to you before the inquest 
perhaps the quietest of them would have been Johnny, who was described by Paddy's daughter Elaine at one point as being somebody who suffered from social anxiety. He would have spent most of his working and most of his life basically on the farm. Paddy moved away quite early and he got married to Stephanie and they had two children. Tragically, um, one of them, um, their son Podge, uh, unfortunately um, took his own life in the house that they they lived in. And Paddy took that very bad, understandably, and I'm sure, uh, you know, obviously Stephanie took it very bad. They, you know, it, it affected the family. And Willie, although he and Johnny lived with each other pretty much uh, at the farm, uh, Willie eventually moved out, I think probably about eight years ago, and moved to a council estate in um, in Mitchellstown. Um, what's interesting is the one comment that seems to come across constantly about the uh, the, the three brothers, certainly, you know, uh, uh, after Jer would have um, taken his own life. It, well, I mean, now there is a member of the family who who is not so sure that he necessarily took his own life, that he may have had a heart attack. So it, it's, it's open to discussion. But one thing that certainly united the three brothers was the fact that they all had their own chainsaw, their own axe, their own splitter, their own wood pile, their own section of the farm that they all worked on chopping wood. Initially, it was wood that came from the farm that, by all accounts, seems to have gone, and they were getting regular deliveries of wood, and they had their own delivery areas and their own customers, and they lived essentially fairly simple and straightforward lives. Uh, there's a guy, there was a statements given at the inquest, guards very keen to try and understand why this happened, pretty much interviewed everybody, and... Um, among the people they interviewed was a guy called Joe O'Shea, and he had known the brothers pretty much all their lives. He was originally from Kildory Road at the heart of Mitchellstown, and he remembers, uh, he not only remembers the brothers passing uh, his house when he was a child, but he also remembers their parents. And he was very close to them all, and he basically ran uh, the local um, service stations, but still runs the local service station and works there. And Two of the brothers used to come in and in effect, and he makes a point that he wasn't too sure if they even had bank accounts, because if they were going to buy some cattle, essentially the lads would come in and they'd deposit some cash with him. And I'm assuming that would be used to cover the costs of selling cattle or or, or what have you. And they, for example, when they had sold their cattle, which was usually about twice a year and usually earning them between, say, five and seven grand, they would cash the check with him. Joe also makes the point he wasn't even too sure if they had smartphones. His details came out from various statements from people about how, um, you know, it was a very rudimentary existence in the farm, as it were. Yeah. And I suppose, yeah, very interesting. You mentioned Paddy married. Um, am I correct in that he was the only one of the brothers to marry and that eventually... That marriage, like so many, unfortunately, came to an end, and he he moved back in on the farm with his brothers. Am I am I correct in that? No, so Paddy moved. Uh, basically, he uh, stayed. He got on very well with his wife, who he was estranged from. They never divorced. They always got on well, even though they they ended up you know splitting up. And what he used to do was he used to divide his time between living with Stephanie in Mitchellstown and living with his new girlfriend. So he didn't actually live, Paddy was the one brother he didn't live on the farm, even though he obviously worked there. That was the kind of setup. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Paddy Paddy moved away. You see, Paddy, not only did he move away, uh, get married, unlike the other brothers, and in fact, 
there was a, a detail which came across a number of times is that very few people had any idea uh, were unable to associate Willie or Johnny ever having had a relationship with a woman or, you know, a relationship full stop. Mm. Uh, Paddy, however, seems to have left the homestead early and obviously married and, 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 had, and had two kids. But what he used to do is he used to work in local garages and it was only kind of, I mean, the, the, the wood chopping to him was more of a kind of a hobby, a bit like the teacher who's also a gentleman farmer, if you know what I mean, or mm. a, you know, a part-time farmer who probably keeps about 10, 15 head of cattle, but, you know, they teach during the week and this is something they would do at the weekends and aim to do, you know, to fill their days when they retire. And the wood chopping seems to be the similar sort of thing as far as Paddy was concerned. And so when he um, uh, stopped working at the local garages, I think it was about maybe two years ago, he then really threw himself into the, the wood chopping. Okay, so you have a scenario, I suppose, in some ways, very typical of rural Ireland, perhaps not so much rural Ireland today, but certainly in decades gone by, you have uh, men who grew up on the farm. Some of them didn't marry. They stayed on the farm. They worked the farm. They got on together. They lived together, three of them, it would seem. And then you've Paddy who came and went. All of that, in, in one sense, is not uh, unusual for rural Ireland, as I say, particularly in the past, but there are definitely pockets of it around. What I find unusual in that sketch, Neil, is um, this business that they had the separate uh, the separate tools in terms of the woodcutting, the separate, uh, presumably the separate areas, all within a small, relatively small, 10-acre farm. That would strike me as a bit of an unusual feature to it. What I forgot to mention as well when I was describing that particular setup is that while that is the way it was described, and I don't know, I, I personally come from a very big family with a lot of brothers, and, you know, we, we would all want to do things independent of each other while, while still acting as a family. And oh, yeah, yeah. one of the things that um, Breda, their surviving sister, uh, said was that it was almost like, they may have had their own areas in their enterprise. They might have had their own customers. They might have had their own pickaxe and, or, or axe or chainsaw or whatever else. But when they were working on the wood, they were like working as one. It's something that keeps coming up in a number of the statements time and time again. As Breeder was saying, for example, three brothers worked. They were working together as one. You know, I wouldn't know what they would be doing between them, I wouldn't know what they would have be pulling like she, you know, like all families, she said they they would have had their differences. But when they were doing the timber together, they all seemed to be one. It's it's like right. It's the one thing that united them all. And they all seemed to, and you can almost imagine them like it, 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 there, there's a, a particular a kind of situation or scene or whatever description in one of the statements where um, Paddy wasn't around as much, certainly in the last, well, he, he suffered, unfortunately, a minor stroke last, uh, in October um, 2020, a few months before this 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 awful tragedy happened. But what used to happen was uh, Willie and um, Johnny used to basically, they have a microwave in one of the sheds and they do, the, they'd have their, eat, they'd, they'd eat their meals uh, out there. Uh, I mean, I suppose when you, when you think about mm. it, they had a lot of wood to cut, and it does take time to to chop up. And bear in mind, some of the wood that they were supplying, it was kindling as well. And I don't know if you've uh, 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 have an axe yourself at home when you're <laughs> you're chopping the wood, but it takes a long time to get it down to the right size. So you can imagine that they would have spent a lot of time out there. Absolutely, and um, they were all in their 
50s, am I right, Neil? Johnny was 59. Uh, Willie was the eldest. I think he was uh, ooh, 64. He was certainly over 60. Over and Paddy 60 was, anyway, as far as I know, Paddy was 61. Jer would have been in his late 50s when he unfortunately um, died on uh, January the 7th, 2014. Yeah, I think he was the youngest. Had Jer lived on the farm as well at the time of his death? He had. He was living at the farm, yeah. You can imagine, yeah. They all all lived together. You can imagine the shock. Well, at one point, for example, um, I understand from one of the statements, both Willie and Johnny were living in a mobile home at the back of the farm uh, while the new bungalow was being built. So they were very close. Yeah, and you can imagine, particularly Ger's death, uh, they all grew up together. They grew up on that farm. They were all living there and, um, and he dies there quite close by in the farm it's, 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 it, it can leave a mark you can well imagine you know yeah I mean they there's a there was a line there from Breda in I think it was in certainly in her statement where Jer's death was, 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 was discussed and she says that the lads rarely spoke about him other than saying we don't know what got over him and that seems to have right. been the only level of discussion now you and I and, and nobody else at the inquest knows well, unless, you know, other than family, what kind of discussions there were. But certainly in terms of um, the insights you get from from these statements, they're all made to the Gardaí and, and most of which were read out in court. You know, you get these little flashes, it did insights of what was going on behind the scenes. And you do get the impression, as I say, it could be a journalist impression. It could be, you know, there could be much more that we're, we weren't told, but that they maybe, you know, didn't quite understand what happened or why he why he did what he did. Yeah, and I suppose, like, as you say, anything is speculation, but of one thing, we can be sure that in terms of, of um, people like them, their generation coming from rural Ireland, etc., the idea that a, a, a shocking incident like that of one so close to them and happening in the way that it did, that it wouldn't be discussed at all, would not be in the least bit unusual. In fact, if anything any kind of detailed discussion of it or, or any um, seeking any reference in terms of, of, of counselling or anything, unfortunately, for a lot of people like that would be the unusual thing rather than perhaps burying it. But as you say, we don't know any of that for a fact. What we do know is, as you mentioned, Paddy last year, his mini stroke. Now, when he was absent as a result of his health problems, the brothers take some of his customers with the wood chopping. Yeah, there's like there's two different versions of this. And um, I mean, on the face of it, you can kind of understand why they would have taken over his customer rounds. He's not around. And so they were helping him out. And that's the way it kind of would have appeared. And but for one statement to the guardy, that's all anyone would have concluded. The one thing that that, that that is really telling from, I would say, almost all the statements is that everybody's of the view that all the brothers got on very well. Yes, one of them might have been a bit quiet. The other one might have been a bit odd, you know, in terms of, not odd, but suffered from social anxiety and kept himself to himself and didn't really mix with other people and didn't have that very, very many visitors. But they all got on well and sure, you know, you know, nothing struck anybody out of the ordinary. And that is the way the inquest was going along um, when just before lunch, 
a friend of theirs, John McGrath, uh, basically, um, his statement uh, was read out in court. And it's the first time that there was any hint of anything that could possibly point to a reason or an explanation or a hint as to why what happened happened. And it's the only time that I think anyone who's listening to all the statements could have heard of an example of where there was any kind of an issue between the brothers. And basically what appears to happen and, and, and you know, appears is, is the operative word here, is that when Paddy has his stroke in, in, in October 2020 and he, now, it, you know, he apparently he, re- he recovered very well and he recovered quite quickly. While he was off uh, recuperating, I think it was five or six weeks, maybe a little bit longer, his two other brothers basically looked after his rounds for him and would have serviced his customers. And when he came back, depending on who whose statement you're listening to, customers were handed back to him and, and everything was fine. But John McGrath uh, paints a, a picture that, um, and this is, he's just going on by what, what he experienced. Basically, about six weeks before, six, seven weeks before this awful thing happened, he says that there was, in, in quotes, a small bit of friction between the brothers. And like, ordinarily, you wouldn't really worry about a small bit of friction. But when you look at the statements of everybody talking about them otherwise, there's never any friction between them. They all get on and they're very close as a family. And he talks about uh, they're in the yard, they're chatting away. And Willie, referring to Johnny, turns to Mr. McGrath and says, in quotes, the other fucker won't give Paddy back his customers. And then uh, Mr. McGrath says he remembers Johnny saying something on the lines of this other fucking idiot is trying to sell land to pay for Paddy's hip operation. And what appears to have been, and he says that there was a friction between the brothers. The court heard that Willie helped take over uh, Paddy's delivery rounds while he spent a few months recovering. And statements from friend and family insisted that it was all very good natured, and there was no falling out when Paddy came back to the farm and took back his customers from Willie. However, according to Paddy's estranged wife, Stephanie, Paddy told her about a week before he was murdered that Willie had taken two or three of his old customers. And these were customers that Paddy had prior to him having a mini stroke last October. And she told Gardie that basically while Paddy was recovering, Willie took over these customers. But Paddy told her that Willie wouldn't give him back the customers uh, he didn't say too much more about it. And as far as she's concerned, the three brothers seemed to get on okay. And that th- basically mention of these customers was the first time she had heard of a problem between them from communications that she had had with him. And bear in mind, Stephanie, although separated from Paddy, they were still very, very uh, close and good friends. One sec, Neil, just stop you there, because for the simple reason that we brothers and it could get confusing the point that I'm taking from what you're saying is that there may have been an argument between Willie and Paddy over the customers that Paddy felt Willie had taken from him while Paddy was out with his health issues. But the only point to note about that is that Johnny ultimately was the one who killed Willie and Paddy, that if there was a dispute one way or the other, whatever friction there was, it might have appeared to be between Willie and Paddy, but it was the other brother who killed the two of them, just in case people get confused with the, with the various brothers. But sorry, go on, you were going to say. No, absolutely. And, and I mean, there was also the idea that um, the suggestion that came out from Mr. McGrath certainly was that perhaps it was, uh, it was Johnny who had held on to the customers 
Uh, and right. you know, there was some confusion in the in the court about who was the one who had held on to the customers. On one hand, the statement seemed to uh, point towards uh, Willie having held on to customers, and then Mr. McGrath's statement seemed to be pointing towards. Um, given what Willie had told him, that it was actually Johnny who was... Um, right, I'm with you. Yeah. So it was all about... But what's I think what possibly might be more relevant here is, and you can only, um, with you know, with all great respect to the family and, and, and what have you, and, and to the outside world, when you see a, a situation like this, as horrific as it is happening, you know, you can't help but ask yourself, why could it possibly happen? What other motives were there? Other than this issue with the wood was, I would suggest, a bigger issue over the sale of land. The small holding itself was 10 acres. According to statements from friends, Willie was planning to sell six of those acres to pay for Paddy's um, hip operation. Paddy has been needing hip work done for about four or five years before, before he died, and it was slowing him down, and he was in a certain amount of agony. So Willie, the oldest brother, deciding that, you know what, let's do this to help our dearly beloved brother Paddy. So, like, if you bear in mind, Johnny was living alone. He was facing the prospect that the farm was going to be cut right down to size. Did that play a part? You know, you just have to wonder, Is it was it just down to wood or was it the fact that the land was going to be sold, some of the land was going to be sold from under him? Yeah, that would, that would definitely put it in a different light, no question about it. And it also feeds into the traditional thing, agrarian society, the importance of land, people at that stage of life and I suppose it becomes even more important in terms of how for example three of the brothers well two at that stage had had remained on the farm and didn't form any lifelong relationships and that kind of thing is very unfortunate from that point of view we have the background in that respect Sonny so in the days before the 25th of February was there any evidence about the men being seen around or any issues between them at that stage? Nothing at all. You know, everything was normal. I mean, every comment from everybody who saw them last, Joe O'Shea in the in the local service station, I mean, he he paints a picture of how they used to come in and he'd provide them with a copy of the Irish Examiner and, uh, and another newspaper. And essentially, they would look at the pictures and hand the papers back to him the following day. Uh, they, on the, for their part, would pick up a paper... Uh, and deliver it to Joe. Everything was very ordinary. I mean, in fact, our lives were very ordinary, quiet, understated. And when you hear about, in terms of people who were asked, when did you last see them and how were they? The one thing they all say was everything was normal. There was nothing out of the ordinary. And to add to the to the mystery of this is the court heard of um, CCTV footage had been analysed to try and determine as much as possible, when these two men may have been murdered. And there's a picture that emerges of one of the brothers, uh, Willie, arrives back at the farm, or is assumed to have arrived back at the farm, uh, first of the two. He's seen shortly after midday or one o'clock or what have you, driving in the direction of the farm. And then about three quarters of an hour, an hour later, Paddy is seen driving towards it. So... Both men had been in touch with their families and, oh, sure, I'll see you later and I'll pick up this and I'll pick up that. It was all very, just another day. And you just kind of find yourself wondering, was this premeditated? Was Johnny lying in wait for them? Did a row just suddenly um, erupt? But for whatever, there was seen to be, the way the men are described as of, of, of having just, you know, driving to the um, 
to the farm, you kind of get the impression that they had no idea what was waiting for them. To know what's really happening, subscribe to the Irish Examiner today at irishexaminer.com forward slash subscribe. And you mentioned earlier that one of them, there was a suggestion may have, and, and this is a great expression, it's, it's, it's one I certainly grew up with, and I think most people would have, to suggest that somebody is suffering from their nerves, I suppose. Today, we might describe that as somebody having mental health problems. But one of the brothers was believed to be, um, unfortunately, with that kind of a condition. Uh, yeah, no, Willie um, suffered. Uh, this was according to uh, Paddy's daughter, Elaine. Um, she told, she was basically, she said to Gardy that uh, basically Willie uh, suffered a bit from his nerves. Uh, he always had. And in fact, he, at the time of his death, he was on uh, antidepressants. Um, and in fact, a therapeutic level was found in his bloodstream um, when they did blood tests on him after he died. And I understand he had been hospitalised at one point, but there, there was a statement given in, in the inquest um, from uh, his GP who said that basically, you know, he was grand. It was being well managed and that it was it was fine. Um, now, his brother, Jer, uh, as I understand it, um, suffered from a certain amount of mental illness. And their mother, I understand it, um, this is according to Joe O'Shea's statements that um, their mother um, uh, suffered from mental health problems as well. You have a very unfortunate and very understandable and not terribly uncommon scenario whereby, as you said, their mother um, had mental health issues, two of the brothers did, and we heard previously that Paddy's son unfortunately took his own life as well. So quite obviously there was a very strong strain of some form mm. of mental illness running through the family, unfortunately. And I suppose that's the point where you have to wonder about the provision of services and, and, and the availability of services and, I suppose, people's willingness to try and access services. That, 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 that would probably come into that situation on some level. There was a recommendation by the um, jury in the inquest, their number of recommendations, and one of which was that the Minister of Health should... Um, enhance um you know facilities available for people suffering from mental illness and you know rural isolation and what have you and you do have to ask yourself to what extent does every family necessarily be the type to want to avail of these kind of services yeah particularly in areas of rural learning and particularly and as you mentioned and again this is entirely common is this uh, wish for privacy. And in a small community, some people may think, for instance, um, or certainly would have in the past, that if they're accessing services like that, whether word would get around and how they might be regarded and that kind of thing. Unfortunately, that's a feature of life in some places. Yeah, and one of the characteristics of this particular family, it would appear to have been the fact that they pretty much kept a very low profile, kept themselves to themselves. Johnny, for example, um, who didn't mix with anybody, was an extremely quiet man and had very few friends. And uh, his contact with the outside world appeared to basically be his family and one or two people that he knew in the area. He was understood to pretty much hated doctors. Uh, when Paddy suffered his stroke, there was a conversation that um, Johnny had with one of his friends, which was that basically he hadn't been to see a doctor in something like 40 years. I mean, I, 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 I've got to remember exactly what the, the, the was, but it was a long time. Now, he was a very fit man. He was regarded as being right. fitter than uh, most people his own age. 
Uh, he was a keen cyclist. He used to cycle extraordinarily long distances. But, you know, here's a man who, like, it's interesting that guards were able to very quickly contact local GPs and they had to go through the, whatever they had to go through to get the, the, the records and statements from them and all that kind of stuff. But there was no GP that appeared able to talk to the guards about Johnny. Johnny just didn't. So if Johnny wasn't really communicating on a regular basis with a local GP, you have to wonder to what extent would he be likely to pick up the telephone and contact social services and say, I'm feeling very isolated. But certainly, like the jury's recommendation would have been, I'd say, aimed at people like Johnny. You know, you've got to understand Willie had left. Paddy was not around as much, um, especially after his stroke. Um, there was nobody else on that um, on that uh, ten acre farm uh, after a certain time each day, and you know I don't know. After num x number of years of isolation, either you get very used to it or do certain things play on your mind. You know there are like I, I remember myself once being at some I'd been at a farmhouse and being told quietly by a neighbour to move away after they pointed out that there was a shotgun pointing through the window. Uh, you know, it was somebody who didn't like strangers, didn't like people coming in and, and, and knowing their business. And it was and they had psychological problems. It was best if I just moved away. So there are These places are all over the place. But how do you, God, it would take a, a, a genius to try and figure out how do you get to these people? Very difficult. And, and um, we've all come across KISS to some extent or another. Fortunately, most don't end in a tragedy as large as this one. Um, what do we know about the day itself, Neil? The, the, as you said, they were seen on CCTV heading for the farm that day. Do we know approximately at what time this may have happened? Or is it assumed that one of them was assaulted before the other? I think it's assumed that one of them might have been assaulted uh, before the other. Willie, of course, was found face down in one of the sheds. I think it was his his woodshed. And then Paddy was found on his back. Uh, in the in the kind of main yard, there's a fairly kind of haunting detail given in the inquest about phone calls between Rita, Johnny's sister, and uh, Johnny. And he, one of the first things she said about him, he rang in what sounded like a bit of a panic, and he was uh, breathless. And he was saying to her that basically the two brothers had attacked him. Now, that's obviously his version of events. He says they attacked him, which all the statements during the inquest said, you know, they can't imagine a situation where any of them would have attacked each other, let alone, um, uh, you know, Johnny doing what he did. So Johnny rings Breda and basically says to her, uh, look, um, will you come out? Uh, you know, and he tells her, look, I'm, I think I'm in trouble here. But doesn't actually tell her exactly uh, what has happened, other than the fact that he claims that both Willie and Paddy uh, now, bear in mind, Paddy, as far as I know, had heart disease. Willie was, uh, um, you know, considerably older uh, and wouldn't have been as fit as Johnny. So it would have been a very unequal match, let's put it like that. Um, and by about six o'clock, and there's this conversation with, with Breda. She says, I can't come out and see you because of um, the COVID restrictions. And she suggests to him, do you think I should call the guards? He says, yes, call the guards. And so uh, Breda's husband uh, calls the guards. And a guard speaks to Johnny, and I'm assuming says some other words. You know, I understand there's been a bit of a problem, and he uh, basically says, "No, look, everything's fine. It's perfectly calm." Is, is what the guard said in, in in their statement. And you know, there was no noise in the background. There was no commotion, 
And, you know, your mind kind of just wonders, well, you know, there was no noise in the background. He's breathless. You know, is he taking this call uh, while he's standing in the yard and there's two dead bodies near him? We don't know exactly that course of events, but certainly by about six o'clock, there was no further contact. Or there was no, well, there hadn't been any contact in the hours beforehand by telephone with any other member of the family, with the brothers. And I think certainly uh, there was a situation that alarmed one member of the family was when they kept on trying to ring one of the phones of the brothers and it, it ended up being switched off. The families were frantically trying to ring Willie and Paddy and also ringing um, Johnny and getting nowhere. And But I, by the sounds of things, by six o'clock and that phone call when he was said he, when um, his sister said he was breathless, he was then later seen on CCTV driving away from the farm. This would have been, as far as I can remember, around about sort of nine or 10 o'clock. And then he um, appears to have gone back in the direction of the farm and then gone off in another direction uh, towards a local river. Did he go off in the car to, towards the river or on foot? He went off. Well, he went off. He stopped off at a, a, a farmyard in, uh, in his, he had a red Toyota Corolla van and he appears to have parked that up at the farmyard and then basically gone off to the river on, on foot. And, you know, fast forward to a well-known um, Garda dog handler, a guy called Patrick Harrington, and he he tells the story of how um, a colleague waves over at him as they're walking on either side of the river and says, oh, I can see a red, a red hat. And um, he walks along the river and he sees this red cap. And beside the red cap is um, an empty plastic bottle, an empty packet of cigarettes, a pair of false teeth, and then he looks down to the bank and there are footsteps leading to the to the river. And the general perception is that he took his own life. Can I just clarify, Neil, in terms of the event itself, that happened in the evening, you mentioned around six o'clock. Was it the following morning that this scene was discovered? Around about um, 11 o'clock, um, Elaine and Stephanie, um, Paddy's uh, separated wife, they basically made their way to the farm. Um, they couldn't get hold of anybody on the telephone. They were concerned, especially as Paddy, um, you know, he he was in pretty much in, still in a phase of recovery from his stroke. I understand he was also, um, he had a heart condition. So they were naturally worried about him, not thinking for one second that when they drove into the farmyard in complete darkness and all they see is with the headlights of their car, they park up, they get out. It's all very quiet. Uh, at one point, they saw a small fire burning in one of the sheds. There was always a fire burning, apparently, presumably it's the bits of wood that they didn't need or maybe keeping the shed warm. And they pick up from about 10 feet in the light of the car, the headlights. They suddenly see Paddy lying face up in the yard and they stop in their tracks, completely shocked, terrorized by what they've seen. And then suddenly panic thinking, Christ, you know, whatever's happened to him, Maybe the person who did it is still around. So they leg it back to the car. They get inside. They lock the doors. They're stunned. They're shocked. They're in a pretty much, you know, a pretty terrified state. They call the guards. There's a bit of difficulty at first trying to explain to the guards exactly how to get there, but the guards get there pretty quickly. And there is a search. And before midnight, Willie's body is found. Johnny's not found till the next day. Uh, and he's found in the, in, the, in the local river Fusion. God, it is, uh, it is, it, it, it is really tragic, the whole thing. Um, uh, was there any other recommendations at the inquest? 
There was a recommendation uh, at the inquest, and I probably should be uh, make sure I get the wording of it right. But essentially, and it's not the first time a similar kind of recommendation has been made as far as the guards are concerned. Basically, because a member of the family had been in touch with the guards before anybody realised what had happened, a complaint was lodged with GSOC, and GSOC had to start an investigation into just to what extent the whole circumstances of guards being on the phone to uh, Johnny before his body was found. And the, the jury basically recommended that the role of community guardie should be reviewed in relation to how they deal with um, domestic disturbances. There's an echo here of what happened in the Canturk murder, double suicide uh, involving the um, Donoghue family. The, the jury's foreman um, stood up at the end of the inquest after they gave their verdict, which was that William Paddy had, had died, uh, had been un- unlawfully killed, and that uh, Johnny had taken his own life, uh, died by suicide. Their first recommendation was that uh, we call on the Minister for Health to review and enhance uh, the support services locally for people who may be suffering from mental health issues in rural and urban Ireland Many of these people are suffering in silence from various issues. And the second recommendation was we asked that the role of the community guard in relation to domestic issues be reviewed and consideration be given to engaging directly with people in distress. Now, in the Canturk uh, situation, there was a recommendation from the jury that the protocols around how guardy deal with issues of concern being raised by members of the public about members of the public, especially where firearms involved, that these protocols needed to be reviewed. So this is the second time that there has been a question mark over the way, in effect, Gardaí are handling um, these kind of um, situations. To be fair as well, Donil, in this instance, there's no issue of firearms, but quite obviously... No. There was an issue, definitely, but as you say, uh, it's even more accentuated when there's the idea of firearms. Unfortunately, there was violent killings. It didn't require firearms in this instance. Yeah, no, there, there was no firearms involved in this particular instance. And you also have to bear in mind that, the, like, let's face it, there's a very good chance that uh, by the time Breda took that call, before the Gardaí were actually called, there's a very good chance that these men were already dead. Yeah. Yeah, but it's telling that it's the second time. Now, I I I have asked guards about this, and, and unofficially, what I'm told is that it's not so much a resource issue, but what is an issue is um, training. Yeah, I could well believe that. Absolutely, Neil. Um, a tragic story, no question about it. Uh, we we can only hope that uh, somehow the recommendations from the the inquest jury are answered in this instance, and hopefully it will ensure that in future families don't end up subjected to this and and, um, quite obviously there's a whole issue around mental health and how the services are and how things are dealt with in that respect. Neil Michael, thank you very much for joining us today. I'd also like to thank our engineer, JJ Vernon. Thank you for listening, folks. Go easy till we meet again. Informative, middle school kids from New York City public schools interview a phenomenal collection of grown-ups. 
Me, like, I don't know what I want to do. You don't have to have all the answers. I feel like a lot of people's favorite topics are like interest in their life. That is a really good answer. The podcast where the leaders of today are interviewed by leaders of tomorrow. Listen now at newyorkedge.org slash formative or wherever you get your podcasts.